This podcast is brought to you by Zeno Mueller, three-time Olympian and gold medalist. Imagine a 20-second 2K PR by the end of this season, or even sooner. Elite rowing coach by Zeno Mueller is a competitive advantage. The ERG score is the SAT of rowing, so find out what Zeno Mueller can do for you. Make sure to use coupon 4STARS, F-O-R-S-T-A-R-S, for $200 off on any program he has on his website. Zeno is an Olympian and graduate from Brown University, coached by the legendary Steve Gladstone. He'll get you right, he'll get your 2K down, and he'll be a better athlete after his training. So make sure you tune in with Zeno and get some coaching at EliteRowingCoach.com. I don't think college coaches want a motivator. They want somebody they can trust to run the plan and to give them information and offer solutions, you know? On tonight's program, ladies and gentlemen, we have something that's going to make you sick. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of the Four Stars Podcast. We are here with the Mary Whipple. Mary Whipple is on the Four Stars Podcast. How you doing, Mary? I'm just Mary, but thank you for that the part. It's kind of giving me a little, you know, embarrassed, but I'm good. All right. Well, look, there's a lot of things that are that you've done in rowing. Uh, coxing, business side of, of rowing, you've created your own company in the ninth seat. Can you dive deep a little bit into what that company is like? Yeah. So one of my biggest mentors, Yaz Farouk, uh, when I was competing and training on the U.S. national team, she would host clinics and she would bring me in occasionally. And she started, I think, maybe the first Coxon website with her company back in the day, Coxon Nation. So I knew uh, I knew it was possible. And I thought, huh, what what do I want to do? How I, do I want to give back? What is my career going to look like post, you know, competition and training and, and, and representing Team USA? And so she's the one who who planted the bug, you know, and of, of what was possible. I knew I wanted to coach. I knew I wanted to do something in the rowing world after I retired from the national team. And so I took a year off through my third, like right before my third cycle leading into London. And I got a master's degree from the University of Washington in intercollegiate athletic leadership. And that course set me up to think, okay, if I want to, after I retire, do I want to become a coach? Do I want to come, you know, one day become an AD? Like what's possible? And I think one of the business courses during my master's degree um, said, hey, how do you solve a problem? And so I was like, well, how do I make my own business and be kind of like a private coach, uh, a coaching consultant and not have to do the assistant coach route all the way up to a head coach? Like, how can I how can I play the game in my roles? And so um, it helped me develop the ninth seat. And then the first summer after I retired, I said, I want to do a summer camp for coxswains just for us. And I designed a summer camp of like what I would want to do in any time. Anytime there was availability of me as a coxswain in this rowing space, like, can I hop in a boat? Can I row a single? Can I row in a tank? Can I row on the erg? How can I get the feeling? So then that way I know how to fix things. How does it feel for me? 
if I'm on a, on a workout, you know, and, and I'm getting tired, where do I feel my fatigue? Where do I, where does my technique break down? And especially, you know, on the national team too, like if our coach introduced a new, you know, cycle of, of, of changing a technical aspect or taking away a technical aspect. I wanted to play around with it. I love rowing. Obviously, I'm not big enough to compete at the highest level. But I think that process of learning to row really helped me to develop into the coxswain and now the coxswain coach I am today. So the biggest proponent of ninth seat and summer camp is we talk rowing shop. We do the rowing motion because, you know, when we run the show in boats, we're supposed to offer solutions and fix technical problems. And I think it's huge when the coxswain can experience that technical breakdown, especially in an eight when they're rowing with their, their you know, pint-sized peers. It's super fun. So it's kind of interesting at night seat camp, we don't do a lot of coxing, but it's all the information. It's just rowing boot camp in terms of getting solutions and categorizing those solutions, being a rower so you can actually live it and be like, hey, I missed that call. So then the next time you're in the coxswain seat, you're like, oh, they don't hate me. They're just, they have a lot on their plate and they are just trying to organize their chaos in their head. How can I then not add to the chaos, but offer the solution and get everybody through that? So we're actually moving boats versus just struggling and fighting against each other. So long-winded ninth seat camp and ninth seat business. It's just all about summer camps. And now that I have more availability, I'm no longer a volunteer coach for the University of Washington. I'm going to start offering more cohort group coaching throughout this coming spring season. So I'm formulating that curriculum, well, I know the curriculum, but I'm just formulating like, how does it fit into my calendar? And then I'll offer some dates. That sounds lots of fun. Yeah. Uh, how can they find you? Website, baby. Nightseat.com. Uh, so it's just the number nine, TH seat.com. There you go. And I'm also on Instagram and I do have a TikTok, but I don't know what to do with it. So it's just overwhelming. But I'm the same boat as you. I have no idea how to use the app. I, I just don't know how to use it. So I just post sound bites of, of the show. You're supposed to know how to use the app. You're supposed to like teach me, but um, I'm trying to help find people. So anyone that's listening to the podcast, if you know how to use TikTok, reach out to me and Mary because we need help. Yeah, no, read me first. Then that's it. <laughs> yeah. Now, the business side of things, like this year, I want to get into more of how you take everything that you learn in rowing, bring it into the work life, right? Because there's no professional rowing. You've been at the highest stage in the sport, three Olympics, two gold medals. I mean, that is unreal. You're the most successful coxswain in the history of American rowing. That's unbelievable to me. Yeah, when you were you. first <laughs> when you were first brought on to the Olympic stage, how did you prepare? I believe I asked Pete this exact question. How did you prepare for that first race? Well, I mean, experience builds upon experience, right? So if you think about it, just that one race, it could be completely overwhelming. But if you back up to all of the foundation and all of the years of practicing. A, I'm lucky that I love what I do now and I love what I did. And I love our sport. I love practicing. I love trying to figure out problems to making boats go fast. So you have to like just back it up and, you know, start from the high school years, all four years. It was fun being on a team. Like that was what just gravitated toward. I think my success was the foundation of if, if the team does well, not just your boat, but the team, then it's a positive team culture experience. Then fast forward it to college, plug and play. But then now you're just at a higher skill level because of strength 
And because of more availability and I guess more desire of wanting to be great. And then fast forward to getting invited to the national team. It's just the skills, the strength, the speed just starts to get refined, refined. However, the process is the same, you know, no matter the superstars in rowing, we still have to have hands on. We still have to put the boat in or relax tight. All those basics, we've got to put the blade in, got to take the blade out, and we got to just push back that technical breakdown because of fatigue. So it's literally the same as if you are a high school student or an Olympic athlete. And I'm, I mean, I'm dumbing it down, but I think that is how you survive is just you take it at one step at a time. And the confidence that you build because you've done it so long and it's just reps. So I think once then you're on, you know, the biggest stage of our sport. Yeah, you can have freak out moments, but then in the back of your mind, then you you fall back and you rely on, thank goodness I'm on a team that has the same you know, goals, we have the same belief and the strengths, and we don't want to let each other down. And so then you just it's its not fight or flight. I think it's fight or flight, you can you can get out of there and spiral, or you can fight to stay focused and be a good teammate and do your role at what you need to, to make sure you're there for your teammates. So I think that's how I would handle any type of stress, no matter what level you're at. You just have to think like, thank goodness I went to all my practices. Thank goodness I really made sure I attacked practice and was diligent and didn't waste opportunity to get faster. And that I love that process of getting faster and just becoming better. And for coxswains, for me, it's, you know, like steering more subtly, knowing the technical solutions to like the janky problems and timing the delivery of the solutions. So then all of a sudden, your boat feel starts to grow as well. It's just baby steps, baby steps until you look around, you're like, there's no more steps. There's just execution at the highest level, attention go. So I think how I handled all that stress of the Olympics is, I mean, you'd be dead if you weren't nervous and then just enjoying that because it was a privilege to be nervous. You know, as a privilege to have all that pressure. And it was fun, you know, that curiosity of like, am I going to be brave enough to actually just do the simple things at a high level? And, you know, I did. I get DMs all the time from people that ask me, Hudson, the Olympics are coming to your state. They're coming to LA in 2028. You excited for it? 1500 meter race. This is going to be insane. Two parts to this question, because you talked about fight or flight. And I want to get this answered because I don't think I've ever had an answer. Maybe you know the answer to it. Someone told me that back in the day, they used to have coxswains jump out of the boat mid-race to get off a bunch of weight from the boat. And so it was just the rowers. Is that true? Or is this someone pulling my leg? I have no idea, but I know the current rules are the coxswain is like literally the only one that has to cross the line. And if your coxswain doesn't cross the line, you're DQ'd. So maybe that's why they made that rule up. I that That's... I have not studied rowing that deep um, in terms of history. So that's a fun fact if it's true. And that probably explains why they have that rule. Because I always thought like, well, that's weird. Or like, why would anybody want to jump out? What do they do? Like tape the rudder or just like pray it's not going <laughs> to kill? My last question to that was, so a 1500 meter race, that's changing up the entire plan, right? And you've talked about this in seminars about having a plan and how that's so crucial to your you know, execution in a race. So if you could talk about how would you plan for 1500? I mean, scholastic races in the States, they have 1500s, but that's not, you know, Olympic final or anything like that. First, I mean, it's the, it's a whole training program 
I don't want to say dilemma, but just reboot. Like you have to, I mean, it's a whole different beast. Think about seat racing. You know, a lot of seat racing is like, you know, sometimes it's thousand meter repeats. And then when things are really close, then usually the coach elects to do a longer distance because they want to know who's going to fade. But now it's 1500. The opportunity of fading shrinks, but I guess the opportunity of bonking increases if you go hard, hard, hard. It's a whole different beast. It's, I think it's exciting. I think a lot of shorter, more powerful rowers are like frothy. I bet they're really excited about the opportunity to go hard, quick, high with rate, more explosive. I mean, get the Watt farm going, you know, I think now that I'm not competing. Oh, I say bring it because the races are going to be so close. It's just going to be crazy. I'm really excited about that. And here's the thing. I'm not afraid. Rowing is kind of sometimes stuck in the history and the stodginess of, well, this is how I was taught. This is how it's always been done, like the history of it. But I think it's also exciting that we have an opportunity to evolve and to, to see where and what what the sport and the athletes are capable of. I mean, if we shorten the race to 1500, is there going to be maybe more opportunity for athletes to double up that like eliminate that extra minute and a half or less, you know, depending on how we have the boat class, it could be repeatable. It could not be. I guess it just depends on the physiology of the athlete, but I don't know. I think it's exciting. I think it's a huge fun problem to solve in terms of different training programs, but you know, there's a lot of information out there these days and you just have to change explosivity weights. So you're saying it's going to be awesome, right? So you're going to say that essentially there could be a possibility that people could double up in, in races and they could do like an eight, or a pair or something like that? I don't know, but it'd be fun, you know, because that's the thing too. Like once you're a part of a team, you almost disappear and rowing needs superstars. You know, we need people to be like, oh man, Hudson just won the the eight and now he's going to be in the pair. You know, is he going to be able to double? And then now you have storylines versus just the numbers games of like the eights are fun because it's like huge, it's mass, it's chaos. But then the smaller boats, it's more intimate, so, you know, quote, longer races time-wise. But then you start to root for your favorite rower who you've seen multiple times. So I don't know. I think it'd be cool if, and it'll also be cool to, I mean, it'd be sad to shrink the numbers. But the, you know, the IOC is always trying to save money and they're always trying to evolve. And so if they do limit the roster and say, you just get 20 athletes or, you know, for I forget the number, but everybody has a problem to solve of like, these are your players and these are your seats and multiple people are going to have to double. And then all of a sudden now you have a squad that you're like, oh, who's what's the problem? Who's going to face up against who? It could be super fun and, you know, more fan base. And I think for the athlete too, super fun to be like everyone loves the big boats but then you want to see like well, who can who, who has the steez and who has the technique and who has like the mental fortitude to go into the small boats and see you know who really can move boats there's a couple things we touched on on our phone call about collegiate rowing at columbia tom terhar he basically has the men's heavyweight team choose their coxswains for the day So when he makes lineups, he puts all the rowers, you know, all in their boats, and then there's only eight magnets or whatever it is. And so there's not nine for the coxswains. So when the coxswains all get to practice, they don't know what boat they're going to be in. They almost have to choose and and talk amongst, you know, each other about what boat I'm going to be in that day. And so, sure, they get a chance to see different lineups, get into different boats. Yeah, it's great. You know, there's no, like, selection. But then it's like, okay, so what's going to happen our next race? Who's going to be in what, you know, what boat? So if you were, you know, involved in this 
what would you do? As an athlete, I think probably that head coach, I bet he probably is forcing the coxswains to collaborate. So that's the thing too. A lot of times coxswains, instead of lifting each other up, they want to tear each other down to prove that they're better, you know, because we don't have an ERG score. We don't have an opportunity to flex, but sometimes coxswains choose to put their teammates in a, you know, poor light. That's how they flex, you know, like cut them off, like ditch them or always be that half a seat up, you know, all that kind of stuff. But if you think about it, collaboration really, especially from the coxswain squad, man, that is, that could be the culture uh, magic sauce, you know, like you're always trying to make sure that the team is collaborative, is helping and is a positive place to fail versus a ruthless, insecure place to fear failure. So I think, I mean, as an athlete, I'd be like, what the, like, just tell us. But then it'd be, it'd force me to have honest conversations with my teammates of like, okay, how would we want to run selection? How do we want to present ourselves as a squad to our teammates who are rowers? And I think, oh, I'd be very uncomfortable about it. But what is he forcing? He's forcing a leadership moment. Like everybody wants to be in that boat. But then if they're really, you know, say like the bad egg of the Cox and squad is just like, well, me, 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 the rowers are going to know too. And so I think like maybe that coxswain might get more time, but at the end of the day, if things are going to shake out and the, the right coxswain for the right crew is going to present itself, especially if there's a lot of advocating and collaborating and, you know, whoever is going to be the top dog of the coxswain squad, I would make sure that, say if it was me, I would say, hey, this is our selection procedure. This is how we want to be selected. And then I would make sure that we presented it to the head coach and be like, what do you think? And having that collaborative moment and coming to the coach with solutions versus whining like, this isn't fair. Then all of a sudden they're like, whoa, I've got really good coxswains coming up with a system and coming up with a rough draft of solutions. So then that could be a another collaborative moment. But yeah, luckily he never did that to us. He's trying to think about how can he teach and enable the coxswains to be more problem solvers versus just sitting back and waiting to be told to do something. How can they now offer solutions? And that's a secret, you know, like offer solutions to either your your teammates and like making boats go fast or, you know, frame a question into your head, like come to your head coach with questions versus problems. Mm. Um, so then that way you can come with two solutions faster. Well, we have a Q&A that I posted and you also thankfully posted too. We got some uh, motion with that. So one of the things we have here is your favorite call. Now, listen, look, you've, <laughs> you've been at it for a, a, a long time. Okay. And you've had a lot of calls. So the, the, I don't know if it's going to be hard for you to do it, but if you could Name maybe one or a couple of your favorite call that you've ever maybe ever done. I've been asked that question before, you know, and a lot of times coxswains are always like, what's the most motivational thing you said and all that stuff. And well, my favorite call to make ever, you ready? On. Because everything's good. I don't have to say anything. Plan A is working. On. Or yes, this is it. <laughs> you know? <laughs> so, so Pete Chipalone, I he has this viral uh, Road 2K recording. Have you ever heard it before? It's when he was ahead of the Charles and that U.S. men's eight. And yeah, so that was a that was a race. Well, anyways, yeah, he kept on saying, that's it. You know, very like, he would whisper, that's it. And I asked him, I said, what's the purpose of that? Because you would say it all the time in like random parts of, the, of your race. And he was like, well, it was just a way to, you know, grab that attention because 
a lot of the time the rowers are just not really thinking they're, it's almost like they're they're going down the, the course and <laughs> it's almost like robots in a sense you know what i mean mm-hmm. yeah you have to name the feeling and so if you're naming the feeling because you want everybody to be on the same wavelength and you want everybody to react the way that you've trained and that the way that you're expecting and the way that will be benefit to boat speed. So if you make a call or you make, you set something up for like a transition or, you know, like you're just in the zone, you know, like on, yes, this is it. Do you feel this? Like those are, that's like the best thing. And I, I feel like it's the most motivating thing because then all of a sudden they're going to answer non-verbally, hopefully with a stronger connection in their glute, their gut, like more leverage. And all of a sudden you're feeling more acceleration. Maybe you sneak a peek at the speed, you know, if you've got a GPS or something, and then you can just say, yes, on, you feel that. And so now you're validating their effort. You're naming whatever they're doing. You're validating that this is exactly what we need. It's enough. You know, like I'm not telling them to go easy. I'm just saying this is enough right here for plan A on. So then it's taking that anxiety of like the anxiousness, you know, like if you start to feel rush in your boat or you start to feel like you just want the boat to run out like one more inch, you know, like how can you tell without saying relax, let it go. Like how can you just give them the confidence that this race rate, the rhythm, like you're on, like this is it. And if you can validate that everyone's on, it's on. Vroom, vroom. Like giddy up. I like that a lot. So this is another question we have. What is the best piece of advice you've ever been given on how to improve as a coxswain? <laughs> you know what it is? Be quiet. Listen. Use your ears. Use your eyes and just listen and feel. And like whenever I get chaos in my head, whenever I'm feeling angsty or I'm just like nothing, none of my solutions are working, I stop, take a deep breath. If it's safe, nothing's in front of me, everything's good. I close my eyes for a stroke or two and I listen, I clear my head and usually the boat, something tells me what to do. You know, like the, the feeling, the, the whatever, the, the acceleration. And so it's also clearing the head hope, and hopefully the, the static and the noise and the chaos of the rowers. So then the next thing that you say is clarity. Like it's clear, it's simple, it's a good reset. So I think the best piece of advice was just like, be quiet until you have something to say that will positively affect boat speed. Right. Someone told me it's awesome to be a sponge. Oh, yeah. If you're a sponge, you soak up all the knowledge and things that you hear. And I think a lot of times it's... I've been a launch sponge a lot. And I think that's a huge piece of advice too, is like get on the launch. Hey, quick question for you. Are you someone who wants to be fit, healthy, and happy? And what if I told you you could get your dream body by simply just listening to a podcast? I'm Josh. And I'm KG. And we are the hosts of the Fit, Healthy, and Happy podcast. Listen, we get it. Fitness isn't easy. Carbs, no carbs. Just stop, okay? It doesn't have to be that complicated. And that's why we made this podcast. We get straight to the facts so you can become your best you. So the way to check us out is click the link in the show notes or search Fit, Healthy, and Happy podcast on any of the major podcast platforms. We'll see you soon. And, you know, a lot of people say, like, you're not learning much from being on the launch because you're not actually in the boat. I'm like, what are you talking about? Like, the launch is a great, I mean, not only is it, if your coach is up for it, a great place to talk to your coach and get feedback and and see exactly, you know, what they're talking about or, you know, if what they're thinking. Because I spent a lot of my junior years, you know, sitting with my coach on the launch, just, he would just talk to me. I mean, he would say something and I, he'd tell him, like, do you know why I'm saying this? 
and I'd say, you know, I, I do see this, but if you can elaborate more, that'd be great. Just because I want to see where he's coming from. And so I think that's amazing that if coaches, we talked about this, if coaches actually care about the coxswain, want the coxswain to improve, not just about the rowers or the speed, coxswains can help elevate the speed through knowledge, right? Today's podcast is brought to you by Pocock Racing Shells, a name synonymous with championship winning boats and groundbreaking innovation for over a century. For 113 years, Pocock has been the heartbeat of rowing, crafting boats that have conquered waters, broken records, and earned medals like no other. Our legacy is your assurance of quality and performance. Our dedicated customer base includes prestigious Division I colleges and universities, as well as countless smaller schools and clubs across the USA. We're honored to be your trusted partner in the world of rowing. But what sets Pocock apart? We remain family-owned, committed to preserving our rich tradition of handcrafting every boat right here at Everett, Washington. With unparalleled service staff and decades of knowledge, we are well prepared to help keep you on the water and ready for race day. Be sure to catch us at this year's upcoming regattas, where we'll be unveiling the future of rowing, the X1X and the X4, the next evolution in our X-Series boats coming in 2024. Obviously, Boys in the Boat came out. You're a Washington alum. I'm sure you saw it. Go dogs. Cox Are you going to spoil it? No, kidding. Well, I think okay. at this point, it's January. I know. Okay. So uh, at the end of the of the movie, there's a scene where, you know, Bobby's coxing and uh, the stroke seat's down. He's sick. Now, it was a very Hollywood-like, you know, I'm sure you saw it scene. And yes, I was kind of cringing when he started singing. But I mean, look, I mean, you ever sing in a boat before, Mary? In a race? No. <laughs> but I've repeated certain phrases uh, maybe not as one, you know, as Bobby Mock said, but uh, no, I have not. But I have evoked a memory, like, but leading into, you know, a, a move or like a delivery, you know, like, like, hey, let's join whatever. I think what, like in Beijing, I was like, it's for the 1984 girls. Like, it's just, and that was a memory of us watching their Olympic final before we went overseas. So um, there's definitely times where you need to evoke a memory to get the rower out of their head or their downward spiral. I mean, with Don Hume, it wasn't a mental downward spiral, it was more physical. Uh, so yeah, how are you going to push through that X factor and that human spirit? Right on. I wouldn't sing. I definitely have played music, not during a race, but through training. training yeah. But, so you like took your phone and you know pressed play and hooked up to the mic? <laughs> This was way back in the day. So there was no phones. There was a, it was way, way, way back in high school. So I think I had, I don't even know how I played it. Actually, there must've been like a, a little radio I brought. You grew up in the eighties and nineties. Okay. And now you're, you're from Sacramento. So what was the uh, junior rowing like back then? The competition? Because that was awesome. Yeah. Capital crew. Uh, so let's see back in the day. Marin was still the powerhouse. Uh, we were still trying to beat Marin. Oakland Strokes was good. It was basically, um, and Los Gatos was good. It was really fun. We'd always do a regatta with Los Gatos. Like every other year we would go down and we would, um, we'd get teamed up with um, different team members and we would have, you know, I wouldn't say sleepovers, like we, they definitely housed us, you know, so we would um, have rowers stay at our houses and stuff only with Los Gatos. Nobody else really did that kind of a trade. So it was cool. I loved rowing in high school. I mean, hence why I'm still involved in the sport. It was uh, life changing. And the, the culture of capital back in the day, and I think it's still around, but it was one huge team, you know, there wasn't a lot of equipment. So we would have land training days and water days. And of course, you had to show up on the land days um, to get boated on the water day. So I think that lack of boats 
and the structure of the team really instilled of like, first I was disappointed about being the coxswain. I was like, ah, I'm getting demoted. Like I want to, I want to work out. I just want to sit there. And so it was fun to be athletic and, and join in on the land training days. And, you know, back in the day, we just did a lot of running around Lake Natoma and all those trails and stuff because then we didn't, again, not have that many resources. So we didn't have like a million ergs. You know, I think we literally had like four or five, you know, so we did a lot of cross training, which was fun for me because I didn't have to row, but I could still be athletic. Right. Yeah, it was a fun. It was a fun time. We had CJs, and then we would, you know, if you won, then you got to go to um, nationals. Right. <laughs> you said you said C. What is that? CJ. I think it was like California Junior Championships. So, oh, okay. so we all just called them CJs. And I think even some of like the the coaches who are you know from my age bracket, sure. I think sometimes they still call them CJs. <laughs> God, I was like, I never heard no, of No, that's like SWJRCs right now, I think. That's yeah, it's like the whole thing. What are your thoughts on Coxon's actually learning how to row? Because that's great. I spent a whole summer learning how to row and acted like a rower. I gained some good weight, healthy weight. I was very, very skinny, but yeah. Muscles. I think if, you know, if Coxon's are able-bodied and the, you know, they, they have the capability of participating as much as they can, Absolutely. Not only does it make you more of a peer, but it's really cool for when the rowers are starting to encourage you, like during a run or lifting weights or, you know, doing something like they, they take note of how you try. Like you don't have to be fast. You don't have to, you know, break any records. You can actually be like the weakest coxswain. But if you're trying and you don't give up and they, they, you are suffering, you know, in your own little way, um, they know that you are putting all your effort in the same way that they are. So then when you make that ask in the boat, Hey, we need to go more, we need to go harder, or we need to be tougher. You're saying that from a place where it just needs to be done. And you know that they're capable versus you just being like, come on, try, try harder, you know, then it's more authentic that way. And, you know, once you're, you're, ex when you want to quit, what are you talking, what, what are you saying inside your own head? Like, how are you, how are you coxing yourself through the tough parts of like wanting to slow down, wanting to walk, wanting to stop, you know, all that stuff? Like, how are you holding yourself to a higher standard? What kind of integrity do you bring to your how and your why? And it just makes your, I think, your voice more authentic when you're in the boat. So after Capital, when you had your high school career, you wanted to go in Coxon College. What was recruiting like back then? And what led to you deciding to go UW? Well, okay. So recruiting, um, let's see. I was a class of 1998. And I think the NCAA started uh, to become a rowing. Uh, rowing became an NCAA sport in 97. So it's brand new to recruiting. And I think um, what really got my eyes open to the University of Washington is I have a I have a twin sister, um, Sarah, and uh, she was recently the head coach at Capital Crew. And then she also was the associate head coach at Cal under Dave O'Neill. But now she is an assistant coach at Sac State. Um, so we're both, you know, really into rowing and she, you know, was a coxswain as well. And so she kind of was like, oh, I think it would be kind of cool to go to UW. And NCAAs was at Lake Natoma in 1997 and all the high school kids were like, you know, we, we clamored to be the stake boat holder 
you know, of, of all the, the top dogs. And then um, one of our teammates, Vanessa Tavler, she went to UW. So I kind of knew about UW. My sister was like, hey, I think it'd be kind of cool. And we're like, Seattle would be kind of sweet. So we both applied. She coxed men our senior year and I coxed the women. And then one of my teammates, Rachel Brunel, she made the junior national team junior year. And then so senior year, she, um, the coxswain aged out. And so she talked to the coach, be like, hey, my coxswain, you know, is really good. And she has a sister too. And, but they just were like, well, let's just bring your coxswain down to winter camp. Like they, they had a, like a little winter camp tryout at Chula Vista and I didn't mess up. And so I think that just shot like the trajectory of, of me and the freshman coach there, Eleanor McElvain was the assistant coach for the junior team at that point. And so from that con- like conversation of, you know, winter camp, I was like, hey, my sister and I want to come up, you know, and it was really late to the game of recruiting. I think I went on my recruiting trip in April. And I think that was after I got in to University of Washington. And I was like, hey, I got in. Do you mind if I come up and see, <laughs> see the camp or see the, the, the school before I say yes? But um, I think basically it was just it was out of state on the West Coast when I went on my recruiting trip, it was in April. So it was springtime. Everybody was in their boats. I got to see an epic practice of, you know, varsity, 2V freshmen, all doing two minute pieces, glassy water, the cherry blossoms were out, sunny. I was like, Seattle's the greatest. (laughs) So I said yes. And I went up there and yeah, best decision ever. Now the transfer portal is popping. Now it's like, if you don't have a good time, you just leave. (laughs) I don't even, I'm, I don't even know where I would, especially for coxing. I mean, it's so hard to make a name for yourself in high school that you just need to have your coach being a good advocate. You need to go to summer camps. You need to, you know, just try to make a name for yourself. But I think more often than not is, you know, I think if you present a good audio, and 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 be clear the audio you don't have to win you just have to know, you just have to there has to be a race plan you have to show that you are executing a plan that you are leading the change of you know the high strokes down to base you're validating you're giving them information in a motivating way and i think if you have all those blocks of this is like and just giving them information and not yelling, but just talking to them. I think that that will really separate you from a lot of other high school coxswains about just being loud and motivating. No, I don't think college coaches want a motivator. They want somebody they can trust to run the plan and to give them information and offer solutions, you know? If you can present that in like a short little race, like synopsis of like, hey, coach, this is what you're about to hear. This is like what I'm proud of. This is what I'm working on. This was the plan. And I actually, I I talk not like crazy tactics, but just be like, hey, this was our plan. This is how we executed it. This is how it could be more clear, uh, you know, or or maybe even timestamp it. If you are pressed for time, that's two minutes. I feel like was the best of me, like, you know, setting up the move executing the move or this was where really like momentum changed in the race and I was very proud that I gave the information this way Um, if you can start talking like that in your emails or even lo and behold hey coach here's my audio here's my little race synopsis I'm gonna call you on this day at this time 
I would love to talk more about it. And then boom, all of a sudden, now you have something to actually follow through on. Give them that call. So then you can show them that you're brave. You can communicate because that's what we do. We're communicators. And it's a, it's a, it's a great way to get phone time with something fun to talk about versus like, what am I supposed to talk about? I'm supposed to, you know, you have all these questions, but it'd be kind of fun to talk shop or, you know, maybe like, this is what we're trying to do. Hey, at your school, what are the things that you're trying to get the coxswains to do? You know, like it's just having conversations um, that prove that you want to learn their system and be a contributor to their system versus I'm the best. I'm the, I'm like the funnest. I, you know, I'm the best motivator. Like, no, like they college coaches want you to steer straight, run an effective high tempo practice with them and to give them information, the coach information about how the boat is feeling. And more importantly, how can you interpret what the coach wants and how the coach wants to see the boat and how can you help them delivering that product of, you know, their technique application and, and power and speed? This is why you're a coxswain coach, Mary, because you, yeah, you I know I'm like, I'm kind of taking over your podcast. You're not taking over the podcast <laughs> at all. You're being an awesome guest. And I am so thankful to have you on. So thank you. Well, for- then to be more specific too, I mean, in the subject line, I mean, this is what I got from my sister when she was an associate head coach at Cal. She's like, in the subject line, I just want to know you know, your, your, your club name and no abbreviations. Cause there's RCRCs, OA or R, like there's so many same acronyms, like say your full club name or your rowing team's name, your graduating year and that you're a coxswain. Boom. Mm-hmm. And then like, if they're good coaches, they're going to file it away or they're going to start searching. And all of a sudden they're like, Oh, Hudson, oh, I can't talk to you yet. You know, like you're just outside of like the availability of talking. But then when you keep going and you keep doing that subject line over and over again, they'll know. Awesome. West Coast person, coxswain, right ear. Okay, I'm going to like click open and then bullet point the important stuff. You know, of like whatever they want these days, bullet point your stats. And then below being like, I'm really interested in your school. Hopefully you say something more eloquent that because obviously you are right because you're emailing them but um but why you know why do you want to be there um all that stuff so that's my free two cents you know like it's not it's not as scary as it could be Mm -hmm. it's just you got to be diligent you know you got to be diligent you also also can't be afraid to if this actually works out this coach can be with you every day so you got to be willing to speak up and not be afraid of you know, failure, because yeah, it's maybe it's not failure, but you know what I'm trying to say, de- de- uh, people denying you, I guess you can say, right? Yeah, don't don't deny yourself or don't say no before somebody else does. And, and I, I, I tell this all my myself all that time too. you know, everyone and keep emailing. Because they get so many. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Probably college coaches like, no, stop. No, <laughs> but but here's why, like, if all of a sudden, your subject line or, or your the, the magic sauce, and they click on it, then and if you say like yeah this is like well maybe don't say like this is my 10th email but be like hey i hope you like you've seen my other emails just want to nudge and like just because i really am excited we've done this before like years ago you and i actually this not to get what was in a group meeting we did it but top 10 things that coxswain needs to be solid at i think we did like boat feel steering like those type of stuff you know what i'm saying we did that a lot and i thought that was 
Very, very important. Boat maneuverability. You've got to know how to maneuver your boat. I don't care if you are the like the best sounding, funnest, whatever. I will choose somebody who can actually maneuver efficiently. I'm talking spinning, parallel parking, docking, like being at the right place, right time, not breaking traffic pattern, like all those simple things, fleet management, like run practice so you're not wasting my time when I'm coming up when I'm coming up to you know like coach you you need to be level parallel five feet apart you got to and I'll just say one thing and I'll say the other one's faster but I am very passionate about maneuvering your boat when I coach ODP talking you know to my three coxswains to you guys um Every single, I had a month with these guys and two practices a day. And it took about week three, not going to throw anybody under the bus, but took about week three, double days of like same expectations of like pulling up and be like, awesome, coxswains, you've got like, the clock is on. I need you parallel five feet apart level. And then be like, awesome, congratulations. You just wasted four minutes of our practice. You know, and like when at the end of the the stretch of the river, like coxswains, I need you to be here, here and here, ready, go. And it like, you know, took forever for them to just maneuver the boat. And yeah, it is also expectations of the rowers, but I'm talking like efficiency. You don't have to like run around like, like a chicken cut off with a head, you know, type of thing. But you've got to make sure that it's just seamless, seamless maneuvering of the boat. Boom. That will elevate you. If you're a coxswain in your club right now, being like, nobody listens to me. Nobody trusts me. Are you steering correctly? Are you are putting anybody in danger? Are you docking correctly, seamlessly, without any drama? Are you there? Because how you t- even how you give commands about switching set, switching in, switching out, spinning, going this, going that, just how authoritative and positive demanding are you with that boom i will listen to you forever because you just know the answers of boat maneuverability okay so number one boat maneuverability for a high priority of coxing after you've got that down then it's all about technique you don't need to know the answers to the technique but you know how you need to know how to deliver that solution lead that change And then hopefully this is how you can teach yourself boat feel. Then can you feel the change? And if you don't, that's fine. But your job is to think about how does it feel now? Deliver that change, feel it. And then you can assess, is it better? Is it worse? Okay, so technique, boat feel. And then I would say, once you get those two down, then how are you at executing the plan, the race plan? How are you of giving them information? So it's just like race plan execution. Then when you have all that, then are you using motivation at the right time? I don't want to hear all motivation and no plan and missing an opportunity to cue a move or cue a sprint or what's an, a what's at state call. So motivation, bottom of the list. I think it's boat maneuverability, technique, boat feel, then it's race plan, execution. And then the last thing is, can you then add your flair then can you add your motivation without detracting race plan execution, 
technique, assessment, boat feel, and boat maneuverability. And I'm going to plug this. Those are the four modules of the Cox of the U.S. Rowing Coxin online course that I created for U.S. Rowing. Self plug. Um, All right. Because I designed it that way. Because I feel like, dude, if you can't maneuver your boat, work on it. You can't. You have the power to work on it at yourself, not just like nobody likes me. I'm not popular. I don't care. You don't have to be. You know how to maneuver your boat. Then you know, be a student of the sport. Technique, technique, feel it, feel it, offer the solution. And the rowers can't deny if you offer that solution, you lead the change, you validate the change. They're like, oh, something about that Totson. Man, he's he's quiet. He's like totally off the radar on land, but on water, dude, he's a force. Mm-hmm. And then if you execute a plan and like everybody knows the plan then the rowers have freedom to go like afap you know just hammer yeah. it yeah. And then once you're comfortable and confident the team will dictate that motivation that extra little flair the that inside jokes you know like i think coxswains gravitate to that first mm-hmm. because high school students want that but the longer you are in the sport the the higher and the more mature the athlete you start to get to, then your skill and what the rowers are asking from you is just to just execute, do right. the plan. Is it working? If it's not, help us fix it. I like what you said about all this stuff like that. Mary, you're very, very wise. You know a lot about the sport. And I think that, you know, with you being a part of the sport, other people are going to grow and progress and just be better athletes, you know, and uh, more knowledgeable. So thank you so much for being on the show. I can't thank you enough. Hopefully we'll have Mary on in the future if she wants to come back on. And uh, I'm very, very appreciative for you. And again, there's people out there that are listening to this podcast. And listen, four years ago, I was on a Zoom call listening to Mary. And, you know, I'm here. She's on my show and we're talking. So you can do anything you put your mind to. I really appreciate you guys. And Mary, keep going after it. So thank you. Hell yeah, you too, Hudson. You've definitely brought the world. You're changing the game, the rowing world together. So congrats. I'm stoked for you. Keep going.